Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, ready to take you on another excursion through the intersections of sports, transness, science fiction, and other stuff. And we have a special guest for you this week. But before we bring our guest in, look at some of the news headlines. And one of the biggest happened as the clock struck midnight in the state of Texas. The the anti-transports ban, Senate Bill 29, died at midnight. The coach turned into the pumpkin. The stallions turned into mice. And somewhere, Monica Roberts is looking down on us and saying, this is very nice. The late, great Texas transgender activist is looking down on us right now and saying, you done good. You done real good. SB 29 found itself in the, in the pipeline, ready to be debated, ready to be voted on, but because of an excellent effort by progressive legislators in Texas doing some chubbing on the, on the, on the do legislative docket, holding it back, holding it back, they were able to run out the clock. And SB 29 now has to go through the whole process over again in the final five days in the session or get clipped onto something else. There's a lot of maneuvering that could still get done, but it looks like that anti-trans bill will die and it'll have to try it again next session at some point. But I think even with this win, I think of something that a certain 10-year-old that we've all hold close to our hearts down the state of Texas said on Twitter, a certain Ms. Kai Shapley said, I don't want to come back up here in Austin in the next session. We need to get the Equality Act passed. To quote scripture, out of the mouth of babes. Elsewhere, in, out, in the pages of Outsports this week, a lot of great things, but one, was, one of the things that I want to touch on was by yours truly. And it had to do with something that ran over the weekend in USA Today. An opinion piece, no less. It was an opinion piece that was written by Chelsea Mitchell. Connecticut State track and field champion as a high schooler, now a student at William & Mary and on the track team. But essentially, they wrote an op-ed and with, I mean, with the full endorsement and credit of the sponsor of the lawsuit that she's a plaintiff in against both the Connecticut Association of Schools and the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, the Alliance Defending Freedom, she essentially wrote a number of things that were, quite frankly, alternative facts. Uh, essentially, she said, quote, even, she recounted her win last year at 55 meters at the state indoor meet in Connecticut, and she said, quote, I won that race and I'm grateful, but time after time I have lost I've lost four women's state championship titles, two new, all New England awards, and numerous other spots on the podium to male runners. In response, yours truly wrote a counterpoint and essentially a rebuttal that looked into all those claims and why they're false, but more importantly, looked into a critical question. Why did the USA Today an outlet that prides itself on fact-based journalism even put up something like this in the first place. Why in the world would they let something that 
is clearly transphobic, misogynistic. Uh, remember, this uh, Chelsea said, quote, this is a devastating experience. It tells me I'm not good enough, and no matter how hard I work, I am unlikely to succeed because I'm a woman. You know, I often tell people transphobia and misogyny, they go together like PB&J. This is another example of it. In an 880-word article, or rather opinion piece, once every 80 words, a trans person was misgendered in that article. Two trans people in particular, and Dry Yearwood and Terry Miller, the two trans high school girls from Connecticut who ran against Mitchell in the races cited. This has been par for the course for the ADF in every case it's been a part of. Sell that trans women aren't women and keep selling it and keep selling it until people buy it. The misgendering is constant, consistent, and it's cruel. Now, the ADF has the right to sell their toxicity and their transphobia. They have the right to do that. But they have no right to a platform in, in what I term, as a journalist, real journalism, fact-based journalism. Do it all you want in Breitbart. Fine, go on Fox News. Sell the snake oil there, because that's where the snake oil gets sold. But I have problems when these type of opinion pieces, really commercials for the ADF, get in legitimate news sources that are person that are staffed by people that actually take the craft of journalism seriously, take objectivity seriously, take AP style seriously, and don't misgender at every opportunity. And that's how I feel. Weaponized misgendering is just flat out wrong, and it shouldn't be in a legitimate news source. USA Today, shame on you. Do better. And with that in mind, on to our guest. And our guest comes from the world of golf. Now, golf has seen trans people on the links before attempting to compete. Names such as Bobby Lancaster, Lena Lawless, and Miana Bagger have been part of the recent history of inclusion in golf. Another link in that chain, another link in that history, another step forward occurred on May 13th. There was a golf tournament in the NWGA at Providence Golf Club. And at the top of the leaderboard was a golfer named Haley Davidson. Haley is trans. Haley also is grinding towards, a, uh, towards something very special, a tour card for the LPGA. And she helped her cause on May 12th and May 13th by shooting a pair of 71s going two under 142 for the tournament and becoming the first transgender person in the world to win a professional golf tournament. And we're going to beam her up right now. Haley Davidson, welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. How's it going? It's going great, <laughs> Haley. And first, before we go any further, congratulations on that win. And I can tell you this much. Given some of the stuff you went through prior to it, U.S. Women's Open qualifying, 
happened a few weeks before this tournament. And you had a good start there. And then in the second round, it showed why Mark Twain calls golf a good walk spoiled. He had a rough time shooting a 77. It wasn't a great outing. But then you come back, regroup, and you get that win. What was it like for first? What was it like for you to have to pick yourself up, rebuild, come back, and then get a win at Providence Golf Club? So interesting enough, um, little backstory with uh, the U.S. Open. Um, so I like a, I had my surgery back January 22nd um, in the hospital for eight days, bored out of my mind, started emailing tours and, you know, things like that, trying to plan ahead, had nothing else to do. Uh, <laughs> and I was tired of TV. Um, but I remember when I got in touch with the USGA, started uh, their what they call their medical panel process. Um, it was right the first week of February. They said it was going to be like three-ish weeks. So I was like, okay, understandable. Um, got, you know, all the documents they need, letter from my surgeon, um, medical history, blood work, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sent it over to them. Three weeks go by. I hear nothing. Um, so I, you know, I email them a bunch of times, get nothing back. Uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I hear back and and we're now at week six. So three weeks after I was supposed to hear. And uh, and I get told there was a three-week delay, but no one ever told me. that Apparently, that was a secret. Uh, <laughs> so that comes up and we're now within like a couple weeks of the tournament. So I'm worried like if they're delaying things that way, I don't have to play. You know, who knows? And then they reach out to me again saying, oh, we need more info. And I was like, okay. Okay, you just delayed it all this time and now you're wanting more stuff. And one worry I had, which so the LPGA was they require uh, was a, a gonadectomy, I believe. I, I can't remember the exact term, but that is the, the procedure they require to compete. Well, obviously, the surgery I had went one step further. And this was kind of my first worry with them is, you know, I sent in all my medical info. There's these three medical professionals who apparently are appointed by them. And I get a note from them going, you know, we require this surgery. We need a letter from you saying that you've had this done. And I said, well, well, I've sent you that. And they said, no, well, it doesn't say this exact thing. And I said, well, this worries me because if you're an actual medical professional and have any knowledge of any trans surgeries that you would understand that what I had included the surgery that you require. And like, it's not like a hidden fact, like that's pretty common sense. If you know any, literally anything about trans surgery, you can look up what procedures are involved in a vaginoplasty and it'll tell you the list and boom, that's one of them. But no, I still had to go get a letter you know, writing this actually worded out to them, which again was kind of a red flag for me. Um, and then another five days, you know, five, six days later. <laughs> and at this point we're 10 days out from the tournament and I get another email going, Oh, by the way, we want more blood work. And I'm thinking what was different about the blood work I gave you six weeks ago? And they said, oh, well, we need it within a month of the tournament. And I said, well, again, why did you accept my blood work six weeks ago? And I was like, do you expect that? I just took like a bunch of steroids or something. And then in the last like six weeks and everything's going to change. Like no one, I don't know about any athlete that really would do that ever. So 
we're getting closer. And obviously, you know, as I, as you probably know yourself, the way blood work goes is you actually have to go to the doctor, get the script. Like it's not just you walk and get it done and, and that's it. It took like a week to get the results back. So at this point, we're obviously late. Um, I, you know, I sent him the results. Yeah, it was like a day or two before I knew they weren't going to get it. Uh, I knew, you know, obviously this wasn't a priority for them. It was just kind of something, okay, if they have five free minutes during the day, they'll work on. Um, and it was interesting. They sent me a note saying I can go ahead and compete in the qualifier, but say if I are to, if I am to qualify, I then have to be fine, like finalized by this medical panel. So the way I see it is, so you're going to go let me play. And if I qualify, you're then going to decide on if you're going to let me compete or not. So if I understand this right, when you are going through U.S. Women's Open qualifying, as you were trying to grind it out just to make the show, they still were deciding on are you are you eligible or not? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, now, where have we heard this story before? We talked to Megan Youngren, the runner on the podcast, on this podcast last year when she was heading off to the to the U.S. Olympic Marathon trials, and she went through very much the same thing. That mm. she fl- literally flew into the the trial site in Atlanta, still not knowing am I eligible or not. I mean, it was a small thought of mine all day. It wasn't that big, but it it did kind of frustrate me that you know, regardless of how well I play today. I still don't know if I've qualified. Um, so yeah, you know, I was even with nine holes left to go and, you know, obviously it wasn't a full reason as to why I didn't play too well. Um, but yeah, that, that thought definitely was kind of stuck in my head and it definitely messed with me, you know, a little bit, especially being that new back to competitive golf. And I was still figuring the ropes out again. And, you know, every bogey I made those last nine holes, in the U.S. Open qualifying, I did feel like there was more weight on my shoulder and more weight on my shoulder. Like I felt like I was trying to hold up the whole community, which is something I need to, you know, work on myself. Just trying to get a good, you know, even keel with that. But yeah, it was definitely a. I focused more on the, the golf side of it, and I had a really enjoyable group. Uh, the final round of the that tournament, I won so that was hugely helpful, you know, just talked and joked around and, you know, I had a good time yesterday out there to compete. But again, if you're not going to enjoy it, then why are you out there in the first place? Like it's pointless. I've spent too many years of my life being so angry and like full of hate on the golf course that it's just like, you know, while it's a sport, while it's something I want to do for a living, you still have to actually enjoy what you're doing or it's pointless being there. Then you're just putting yourself through a bunch of anger for nothing. Um, so it was definitely, it was a cool experience. I, I didn't know the the first in the world part actually until well after the fact um, that was brought to my attention by uh, an employee from the PGA tour. Um, so I actually didn't know that. I just saw it as me winning for the first while, like, you know, when I got on my phone and talked to my dad or, you know, signed my scorecard after, you know, I just saw it as great. I won a tournament. There's another one next week. Let's go see if we can do it again. You know, as much as that, it was great and stuff to win. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not like it, it, it gained me, you know, something like it gained me a lot of, you know, positivity myself and things like that, but it's not like, 
it's giving me LPGA status or anything, you know, I still have all these other things I need to do. So while it's a great thing and it's awesome and I'm taking a bunch of positives from it, I'm also trying to remind myself that there's still a long way to go. So I need to make sure I keep working on things because I personally still have a long way to go in regards to ability wise and getting to where I feel like I should be in order to compete and win like out there on you know, any basis. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good stepping stone, I think is the best way to put it. At what point in that tournament did you kind of have that feeling that said, I could, I could walk out of here and win this thing. At what point did you feel you grabbed it by the throat? (laughs) So I, I I grabbed it by the throat and then I kind of let it go. I feel like, um, what was I on? I had six holes left. So what would I have been on hole 12 or 13, something like that. I was actually three ahead and then cream birdie to hole. And then I three putted 17, which is bundles of fun. Um, so I was three up with six to go. And then I was two up with two to go. And then I was one up with one to go. And yeah, I mean, it's not like I was, it's not, I wouldn't say I was feeling any, like, yes, there was a little, like the pressure of me winning, but it's not like it, it overtook me. And that was the reason I hit a few bad shots. I mean, that's just what happens in golf. You know, again, it was only my third tournament back. So I was, you know, I'm still trying to kind of remember what the heck to do in the first place. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, well, I felt like I almost gave it away to, so to start the second round, I started bogey bogey. So there went all my lead kind of immediately and I was trailing. And then I was lucky on the front nine that every birdie Perrine made, I birdied the same hole. So we both birdied like the fourth and fifth hole. And then I birdied nine to get back. I think one ahead or maybe two ahead at that point. I can't remember. Um, so I actually, I kind of gave it away at a point. Um, honestly, it was my attitude that helped me. Um, you know, unfortunately before I came out and transitioned, I was the angriest golfer in the world. And I learned it, it was all actually pent up from what I was going through with my gender. But back then I didn't really know, you know, I tried seeing a sports psychologist and we tried all these different things and obviously they didn't help, which now I know why. Um, but I was just so angry and I sit there and go, you know, like six, seven, eight years ago, if this would have been me, I would have shot like 80 because I bogeyed the first two holes and I would have, my mind would have exploded and I would have brought anger and all this other stuff into it where I just kind of laughed it off and was like, one, I'm not working today. Well, I mean, I guess technically I was, but you know, (laughs) not sitting behind a desk working that day. So I was like, you know, I need to try to enjoy myself and you know, the amount of things I've gone in through in life, I was like, you know, one small thing isn't going to kill the rest of my life. So why let two bad holes ruin the rest of my round? So, you know, I, again, just joked and laughed it off and, you know, it luckily got better from there, but because of that, because I wasn't, you know, like I said, while the greens were in the best shape and things like that, as much as I could have been frustrated and as much as the ball was bouncing around, I, tried my hardest to laugh it off and stuff, which again, it ended up helping me. Um, but I just tried not to 
let all the, the anger and stuff that I used to have creep back in, which luckily it doesn't exist anymore because I've come out and I don't have that anger anymore. But yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that was like, that was the big thing for me. I feel like, you know, maybe I was probably swinging it worse than I say would have done six years ago. Just again, I'm trying to get back into things and, and practice a lot more. I feel like my game's not at that same part just yet. Um, but it does really show you that, you know, unlike a lot of sports, like say football, where, you know, your alignment and you just need to be really big and put all your effort into, you know, six seconds or a short, you know, little period golf is so much mental, you know, as much as, like I said, I, I could have hit a bad shot and then just go into it with a better attitude and go from there. You know, if I were to go into it and just let my brain implode, the rest of my day goes with it. So my attitude honestly is what kind of saved things and, and helped me along. And, and to be honest, even on 18, it wasn't the best hole for any of us, but I remember Preen had a pretty crazy up and down from over the green. And I had to get up and down after that from short of the green to win. Um, and unfortunately I didn't hit the best chip and had, like four or five feet left, which on kind of slow, super bumpy greens is not what you want to have. Cause it's like kind of closing your eyes and playing Plinko. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a good fun day. I mean, I, I felt super old at one point, the, the other girl Preen and I were playing with, I asked her what college she went to before she then told me she was 16 and, I felt like I was a hundred at that point. Um, and I was like, wait, you were born in 2005. Like what the heck, uh, what's going on with this world nowadays? Like, oh, listen, Oh, come on. Listen to you. Oh, well, I, I, <laughs> listen you know to what you. I mean. <laughs> at, 20, at, at the 26 years old, forget the Red Bull, get some prune juice at age 26. <laughs> Is that it? If you're yeah, but, the, if you feel old, how do you, remember I turned fifty this week. What do I? How am discounts, I going to discounts? <laughs> discounts. All those no. discounts come into play now. <laughs> now, but all but, I can do is run a car. That's it. <laughs> but one thing, getting the the thing that makes this win loom even larger, at least for me, was three months ago. You were in a you were in a hospital bed three months about more than, little yeah. bit more than three months ago. Mm-hmm. You were having you were having affirming surgery done, healing up from that, and that takes time. And you're back out not only on a on a links, on the links, but winning. Yeah. What what is that? I mean, what has that entire experience been like to try and get back in it, get into playing shape? Obviously, pain is a factor. How do you push through that? So it was even going back. So what was it? My first tournament was the week before US Open qualifying. What was that? Like April 20th, I think was my first tournament back. And a week before, I didn't know I was going to be able to compete in it. I mean, even though I was lucky because of the kind of mini tour event it was, we didn't have to walk for two days. So I got a cart. But even with that, like, I still have to use a special pillow when I sit down. Like it's still very painful. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to, to compete. And then after I got through, you know, those two rounds, I was like, okay, 
we'll see. And then obviously U.S. Open qualifying was walking 36 in one day, which is just over, you know, 10 miles. Luckily, a coworker of mine caddied for me, but I had a f- couple days before that were pretty painful. Um, and I honestly, I was really worried I'd have to to call the day before or something like that and withdraw just because I didn't know if I could physically make it. More or less after I got through US Open qualifying and the only pain I had was in like my feet and ankles, that was reassuring that, okay, maybe I'm not going to kill myself with pain or, you know, maybe injure something or pull something. Um, but yeah, it's still, I mean, I'm at 17 weeks post-surgery and I'm still pretty sore. So, you know, I do understand that I probably went back a little quicker than I should have. Um, I feel like I shouldn't have some of the the pains I do at this point. Again, there's been no, you know, nothing bad coming of it though. There's no infections or anything going wrong. It's just, you know, I push my body a little further. Um, but that was part of, you know, I haven't been able to compete after six years. So I think after, you know, even when I was in the hospital and the the tour director from the NWGA said I could play, I was too anxious to, to not play. And I knew I was going to be sitting in bed for the next 10 weeks that, you know, even though I didn't have the funds at that point and it was $600, I didn't have to sign up for a tournament. I went right ahead and signed up and I didn't care if I shot a million just because I was so desperate to play competitive golf and do something that I had done my whole life and haven't been able to do for six years that, you know, I remember even sitting in the hotel, um, you know, because surgery was out of state. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go from the hospital straight back home. I'd stay in a hotel up in the area, but I remember even my mom was like, are you sure you're going to be okay by then? Like this is only eight weeks away. And, no, I said I was going to do it and made sure I found a way to do it. And literally my first 10 weeks, I did not do much. I did not push myself. I laid in bed on a heat pad and did everything the way the surgeon told me. I did not want to push myself. I did not want to overly hurt myself. Um, but yeah, definitely still in bits of pain. It comes and goes, you know, some days it'll be great. Some days you know, I'll have some stinging pain, you know, I still can't run or ride a bike, things like that. Um, but again, I, I'm able to do a lot more than I thought I'd be able to do. Luckily, golf doesn't involve a lot of like running or lifting. You know, if I were to have, you know, be say like a basketball player or something, I wouldn't be able to compete or anything right now. I probably wouldn't even be able to get back and play basketball, say at this point. Luckily, I play a sport that's a lot less, you know, physically intense, you know, in small spurts. So I'm lucky in that sense that I was able to get back. Like I said, I don't think I'd be able to, if I played any other sport, um, just because I've been able to get back to golf without, you know, the training and stuff that I would like to do, say, if I'm able to put my whole time into playing, you know, professionally again, I would like to you know, start working out again and getting fit and things like that. Um, you know, but luckily just for that first tournament back, I didn't need to do too many of those things. You know, I figured, you know, yes, it's not going to be too strenuous on me as long as I can get the ball around. That's what, again, truly matters, you know, in golf, we were in a cart, so it made things a little easier. You know, again, it's not like I was out on tour and walking and, 
actually putting my body through a lot more stress. So, you know, it, it was a little easier in that sense, but it was still, like I said, I mean, I still had to take pain meds that morning just because it still hurts. You know, I, I, I still think nowadays, like, you know, how much longer am I going to have to go before the pain is fully gone, which as long as it's gone by Q school, I'll be happy, but you know, everyone's different. So I don't know how my body's going to be by then, but hopefully by then, who knows? So. And we're hearing that sound, which means we got to take a break because we have bills to pay. But when we come back, we're going to get the inside on the road from being the world's angriest golfer to taking a shot at an LBGA Tour card. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and joining us today, Haley Davidson, golfer, L NWGA tournament winner, and possibly coming to an LPGA event near you in the years ahead. One thing I want to know is, Haley, what made you the world's angriest golfer? Um, I honestly, it was. It was all the years of, of suppressing who I was. Um, you know, I, I kind of was figuring it out when I was like 13 ish, you know, obviously so I'm 28. So, you know, obviously 15 years ago being trans, like even the word trans wasn't really spoken about ever. Like I didn't, where I grew up just West of DC, I had never heard of being trans. So I didn't know what it was. So I just thought it was this weird thing. And you know, tried to suppress it. Um, and then golf kind of took over. I, you know, I started getting into that and, um, you know, the better I got at golf, the easier it was able, you know, I was able to suppress things because say I would start playing in tournaments or I would try to focus more. I would suppress this more and more and more. Um, you know, I wasn't an angry person in general, like out and about or hanging out with people. Um, but I put so much pressure on golf and, and to be honest, thinking about it, I, I know why I did um, because I was so scared of who I was, you know, and, and with how angry society is, you know, even back then, like I said, being trans wasn't much of a talked about subject, but you saw how society was towards even like gay and lesbian people. So you think, okay, well, if there, if those things are being said about those people, just imagine what will be said if what I'm thinking is actually true. Um, so, you know, I, I would suppress it. And every time something went wrong on a golf course, it was almost like my true self would kind of peek back up, you know, and I would get then angry to shove that back down. Um, but, oh, I mean, I, there was times I, I mean, kids I knew growing up, I mean, you could probably say, you know, my old name to, to a lot of kids and they would probably know me as the kid who was angry or, you know, would slam clubs and, and things like that. And I was such an angry person, you know, because of that. And 
as you know, I started to, to figure out myself, anger got less. Um, and until I know there was like a, probably like a, a couple month period of after me coming out to still being able to play golf and practice before, unfortunately I had to, to give it up for a couple of years. Um, and I, even in that couple months of just coming out, even though I wasn't, you know, addressing myself and, and things like that, I even noticed a huge change over those couple months. So that's when I was kind of like, maybe my lifelong anger in golf, maybe this is actually what it was. And, you know, obviously if the, as the years have gone on, I've, I figured it was a hundred percent what it is. It was just, you know, the way I thought was if something goes bad in golf, then maybe that means I'm not good enough. Then maybe that means I can't be a male professional golfer, which then means that what is going on inside of me will have more chance to come out, you know? And like I said, when all of those like nine steps went through my head, I would get so scared of who I was that I would then get angry to then try to get back to a you know, playing better, which again, it really didn't make sense now that I kind of talk it out, but apparently 13 and 14 and 15 year old me thought it made tons of sense to be that angry to, to do those things. But now it's, uh, you know, as much as those things suck, um, you know, it made me who I am today and I'm not going to deny or, you know, ever regret any of those things because, you know, as much as those things were awful and, and possibly, um, you know, affected other people around me. And as much as I, I don't like myself for having been that angry of a person, you know, again, I would not be exactly where I am today without those things. So, you know, as much as you can be ashamed or things like that, again, it brought me to where I am today. So it's, you know, that's how I learned. One thing you said very often, I've noticed that in your Twitter, I've noticed that in your Instagram, I've noticed that in articles about you, that you love golf. You <laughs> love this game what effect and what what effect did this game have on the searching that you were trying to do then and the process that you've gone through since to now so interesting kind of backstory i, I know obviously i'm i'm a trans woman so um but what brought me to golf is so i was actually born with my feet backwards um yeah i, I know it I said it yesterday on a, in a <laughs> news tape in a news taping I was doing. And I think the guy holding the camera almost fell over. He was like, what the heck did you just say? Um, but yeah, so I was, I was born in my, my feet backwards. I've had 34 procedures on my feet and ankles um, between, I think my, I don't obviously remember much. Luckily, uh, I think my brain's kind of shoved out, you know, the early years of my life because I was in so much pain. Um, but there's stories, you know, my parents will tell me about, you know, like I said, I've, I've had 34 procedures just over the years, turning my feet from this to, to slowly back around. Um, I had one more procedure when I was 17 um, in my left foot. It was nothing that was causing me pain or anything. It was more of a, a cosmetic thing just due to, you know, something, I guess, a tendon was cut too short or something when I was a kid. Again, nothing pain related. It just made, was making my foot look a little weird. Um, but because of that, I, I couldn't really do things like, like basketball and, and, and running and, you know, all those other sports that, you know, as kids were all, you know, there's that period of life that we all try every sport and you know, that's just what kids do. Um, you know, and I tried 
basketball and things like that. And I was just, I was not good at it because of the fact that I could not run. I didn't have that athleticism because of, you know, the, this disability I was born with. So, you know, my family's, my whole family's from Scotland. Um, my accent's gone. I moved here when I was five, but as you may know, you know, obviously Scotland's the, the home of golf and, and I know my dad played growing up. Uh, so did his father. It was a big part of their life. So when we first moved to the U S um, you know, just, it was, you know, as my parents were trying to meet people and things like that, my dad would go out to play and didn't matter what temperature it was. Obviously Scotland's not the warmest place. It's pretty rainy and dreary constantly. Um, but yeah, and I remember he would like drag me out on the golf course and as much as I hated it, you know, it was something that I could, I could semi do. Um, but the, the lazy kid in me back then saw it as, you know, this is something that I can do athletic wise. Um, you know, obviously I put that in air quotes because back then it wasn't seen as it, it's like an athletic sport as, as it is now. Um, but I saw that as, okay, I can do a sport, but don't have to put in like tons of physical effort. Um, and that kind of, got me hooked in the beginning. Obviously I've learned since that's not the case. You know, I, you know, need to keep up with uh, athletics and, and things like that. Um, but that is what kind of, you know, drew me to the game. And then I got good pretty quick um, in the first like three, four years. And because it was the only thing that I was good at. And, and because, you know, I think at one point my doctors were saying that, you know, my feet and ankles wouldn't really be fully healed until I was like, between 16 and 18. So, I mean, good chunk of my life. I mean, the first 16, 18 years, my, my ankles were slowly healing because um, all the procedures I had. So, you know, tournaments growing up, uh, I mean, the amount of parents who would come up to, to my dad or rules officials, you know, worried I wouldn't be able to make it around 18 holes walking. Um, just, I was in so much pain in my ankles. So, you know, I feel like having gone through that gave me a different outlook on things as well, you know, as much as, uh, you know, we all take things for granted at times. I think that's one thing I look back on too. You know, I sit there and think of times I would be angry and, and stuff like that. And I really needed to to think of it. And I know this may be like a harsh over-exaggeration, um, but at the same time, I think of it like, you know, in a way I shouldn't be walking right now, you know, like I was born in a way that if I would have had no surgeries, I, I would not be able to walk. I would have had to, you know, spend my life in a wheelchair. Um, but because I was lucky that there was this doctor, you know, in the UK at the time, there was, it was the only doctor in the UK that did these surgeries. Um, you know, I was lucky. I was, you know, lucky. My, my family was driving there week after week for me to get all these procedures done. Um, so, you know, I, I tried to, I try to see those things more and obviously I see it more the older I get, you know, how lucky I feel like I am because of these things, you know, not only then do I have my transition I go through, you know, I, I do look as far back as, as that, which to be honest, that brings me into the whole kind of like advantage thing more when people try to, you know, I, I get to an extent, you know, the whole argument of trans people, people having advantages, you know, whatever it may be, that's, I can understand, I suppose, some people's opinions, but then I have this extra thing. So it's like when people try to tell me specifically I have an advantage, it's like, no, I'm not even supposed to be walking in the first place. So like, not only am I trans and you say I try, I, I should have an advantage, but because of this birth defect I was born with, that's like, that's another reason 
that I definitely wouldn't have an advantage because, you know, like I have less tendons and stuff in my, my ankles compared to just any average person who hasn't gone through the ankle surgeries I had. So I'm already starting off behind the eight ball and then I'm trans <laughs> and then I kind of throws me behind the eight ball a little more. Um, and then people obviously make up preconceived notions of, you know, for some reason we all, I guess in society, we seem to be portrayed as bodybuilders who put dresses on and win sports. I, I get, for some reason, I guess that's what people think we are. <laughs> I don't get it. I didn't, I don't read the articles anymore just because a lot of them are pretty filled with hate. Um, but my best friend was reading one and apparently I am in the rainbow mafia, which if, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it existed, but apparently that's something we do now. Um, I would like to know where I do become a part of this rainbow mafia. Cause it sounds awesome. <laughs> like this like cool team or something, but apparently I guess that's some right wing thing that's used against me right now is so, I this rainbow. So, so that's what they're calling it now. I always thought it was the trans agenda. I, Ooh, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's why I always thought it was, you know, you get all these like internet trolls sitting there typing away about me right now. Yeah. But I'm, I'm that, looking, I'm looking at some <laughs> of the mean tweets right oh, now <laughs> but i was like if only they knew that i'm sitting at home couldn't give a care in the world laughing with my mom drinking wine watching tv it's like i really don't care like yes you're gonna say all these things and put me down but i don't to be honest i could sit on your show for like 20 minutes and i could say all the things that are wrong with me before any troll could ever get to them I know so many things about myself that they don't even know that I could hurt myself so much more than they ever could. <laughs> you know, as much as people try to get under my skin and stuff, and as much as I would rather it not happen in the first place, you know, it, it, it doesn't bug me. It's not like, you know, like say if I Google my name right now, you can always tell the, the conservative papers because within the first six words of the headline, it either says X male college golfer or by <laughs> male. You know, that's one of the two. And I'm like, I feel it's funny because they think putting these things in are going to hurt me. Excellent player in high school, played in cop, played, played in college. Mm -hmm. What made you stop? So when I was starting to figure out who I was, um, I, I had a full ride to a school in Delaware, um, Wilmington University. And, you know, while the golf was great, uh, we didn't have a football team in our school and our golf team was the only school to ever make it to nationals. So they threw all the money at our golf team and all this stuff was great, but it was a commuter school. And I was, you know, pretty miserable. I know my dad had just lost his job that brought us to the U S at the time, right in that period. And, you know, I just went through a pretty big depressive state. I just got out of a relationship I had been in for a couple of years at that point. Um, so after my, my freshman year, I, I transferred and then, you know, obviously having all this time kind of alone, my freshman year, I was really starting to figure out what was kind of going on. I went to a D3 school in Virginia for what three semesters again on campus, played golf. Um, you know, I was, again, as I was being around, putting myself around, better people, uh, I would say, you know, people who are a little more supportive of things. And, you know, again, I, I hadn't come out, but I was really starting to, to kind of dabble into things and, and start to tell a few people. And then as that got worse, um, I remember it was just kind of a decision that I, I walked in and 
I had to tell a coach, I was like, Hey, you know, I just, I need to figure some stuff out. Uh, I transferred. Um, I was starting to come out to a few people. Um, and then my parents said they were moving down to Florida and, you know, still being in college at the time, I was like, perfect. Do you mind if I come with you? I'll, you know, I ended up finishing up online at Arizona state. Um, so, you know, I moved down with them to Florida. I figured perfect, a new area. I'll come out. Everything will be great. Unfortunately, unfortunately, um, you know, living in Jupiter, Florida for a couple of years, I got to be around everyone. You know, I was playing golf with Rory McIlroy's dad every Wednesday. You know, I was around the biggest people in the game, everyone I grew up watching. You know, I was around playing and practicing with these guys and girls on a daily basis now. You know, I was friends with them and and things like that. And and unfortunately, this great plan I thought I've had of, of moving away and coming out and, and reinventing myself in a new kind of place that kind of suppressed it again because I didn't want to give up any of this. And I remember it got to the point where, you know, obviously the suicidal state started coming in and depression got just really, really bad. And, and, you know, obviously I started coming out to more people and it wasn't going too well. And I lost in a U.S. Open qualifier in 2015. Um, I lost in a playoff. Um, It was 10 people for one spot. Um, I didn't get through the playoff and that was kind of like my, I don't know. Uh, it was, it was like something kind of like opened up and was like, you know what, this is, this is, you know, maybe, maybe golf isn't for you. And unfortunately back then um, it was before I'd met um, Dr. Lancaster or heard much about Bobby's story. Um, but back then I honestly thought it was, it was golf or being who I am. Uh, I didn't, there was no crossroad. It was one or the other. I've had up until a few weeks ago, it was close to six years off from competitive golf. And like I said, it was just over two full years off of touching a club completely before coming back. And I was, you know, I just was playing at a club my parents lived off of in a retirement community for the first couple of years, just trying to figure out how the heck to play golf again. I never even knew I would get good enough to where I would think of competing again. Um, I never really knew it was a possibility. Um, but funny enough, even though I had to give up fully for two years, I, w- I still called the LPGA and I still was, you know, asking them, okay, how, you know, is this possible down the road? So even though I was not playing golf at all, golf was not a part of my life at that point. You know, I wouldn't even watch golf on TV with my dad because it would just remind me of this thing I'm missing out on. You know, this, my, my life that has been taken from me um because of you know how unfortunately conservative golf is and and I was so lucky the LPGA put me in contact with with Bobby Lancaster and I remember that first phone call I had with Bobby um it gave me hope that this is like an actual possibility and I tell Bobby this all the time you know as much as um, you know, she'll leave me just these great voicemails and, and notes when we talk, you know, the one thing I always remind her and, you know, even though she didn't make it out on tour, um, you know, I personally don't think I'd be able to do this or even would have thought it'd be a possibility without what Bobby did. She, even though she may have not have made it as a, as a player, she still went out there and she still challenged these things. And, and the reason I was able to even start these conversations to begin with, with the LPJ was because of what she had originally done. And, and that's why, you know, I'll always tell her that I, I physically would not be 
you know, I wouldn't have any chance in the golf world without what Bobby's done. You know, she laid the first few steps for me to even do anything. Q school coming up later this summer. Mm -hmm. Two things about, let's say you get that tour card, Mm -hmm. which is something, by the way, you put in your blog, even during that time when you were taking time, when you weren't playing, Mm -hmm. you had said on your blog, my dream was to someday was to be the first trans woman to get the get that lpga tour card Mm -hmm. what tournament are you most looking forward to playing and if you make the television twosome who do you want to be playing with so interestingly enough the the one tournament i would want to win it's not really like a an lpga event it's actually run by the european tour um, but being from Scotland, I, I would love to win the Scottish Open. Um, even though it's not a major, it's just, you know, that that would be something I feel like would be awesome. I feel like the older I've got, um, the more proud of my heritage and like where I'm from. You know, obviously I'm still, du- you know, I'm still a dual citizen, um, you know, things. So obviously that's kind of cool and, and helps, you know, with everything there. But I mean, you know, as much as I as I joke, like, you know, yes, I didn't qualify for the uh, U.S. Open. The U.S. Open's not like my tournament to win. It's not like the, my goal, you know, to be honest, it's always going to be the British Open and Scottish Masters just because that's, that is, that's like, that's my U.S. Open. That's, that's where I'm from. That's like my nationality. That's like the big event for where I am from. Um, in regards to playing with, um, I probably have to say Azahar Munoz, just one, because I know her, but two, even when I first came out and, and players were, you know, maybe having some not so great things, or there were some rumors being spread around things like that. She was always super positive. You know, I was a fan of her and, and her swing and, you know, and, and getting to know her and her husband, Tim now, and they just, they're such nice people, you know, while it'd be a cool experience for me, it, it, that would also be something that would kind of be full circle in a way that, you know, even if I didn't play well, you know, I, I always root for Atha. We even, we both went to ASU, which, you know, kind of helps. Um, but, you know, I just, she's, she's so down to earth and, and caring and, you know, I would, that'd be such a cool experience to, to share with someone that, you know, I, I know. And I would definitely have to say, definitely have to say Arthur. You've talked about mom and dad a great deal. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, I mean, you, you've hit that one lottery. It seems, was there a struggle getting there where they, I mean, kind of, how did they kind of navigate this with you? So I, over like a five-year period, tried to test the waters. I was like, okay, let me come out as gay, which I had so many years of figuring out my sexuality. It was more just like, hey, let's test the waters at this point. So came out as gay. And then I remember my mom went like really into things, buying books. And it was like a week later, I was like, no, I was actually lying or go back. I'm straight now. Um, Because she was going a little too into it. And then, you know, kind of came back again when we moved to Florida. And my dad was working in Haiti at the time, so he wasn't here. Um, my mom was great with things. You know, she even started seeing a support group at first, you know, to learn how to deal with it as a parent. Um, 
you know, she was great. My dad did take um, quite a bit longer. You know, he came from more of a conservative side of things, you know, very hard for him to admit, you know, I was his only son. Um, you know, my mom has me and, and my half sister, but for my dad, it was his only child, you know, as, as a dad, your only son, you, he was kind of, you know, loved everything I was doing with golf. He loved talking about it. And I think he felt like he was losing that was so, you know, I understand now I understand it. And to be honest, he still had my, my old name in his phone for the first like year and a half, two years. And this is like, even after I changed my name and stuff, he sold my old name in his phone. But, uh, I mean, he's great now. Great support. Even, you know, his dad before he passed away was, you know, a great support, which he's the last person we, we ever thought would be okay with things. You know, I'm extremely lucky, you know, some of the support groups I used to go to, I remember there was times where I couldn't go because of some of the stories I would hear, you know, from, from girls down in Miami who were being, you know, held at gunpoint for, for sexual stuff. And just, again, because they were trans and, you know, families who have, have kicked people out and, and they've been homeless. And, you know, so while at the same time I talk about my story, you know, and how it may have been difficult for me at times, um, you know, and it was, and it sucked, but I'm so insanely lucky compared to so much of the other, the rest of the trans community and I think people need to understand that the, the LGBTQ community gave me life again. And I want to make sure I give all that life and more back to them. And I want to leave this community a lot better off than it was when I got there with all these, you know, nasty legislation and things like that. Um, I'm going to make sure by the time that I'm not here anymore, hopefully a hundred years from now or however long I live for, um, you know, I'm going to hope that by the time I leave, we're not having to have these awful, you know, conversations about legislation and then blocking people from just being who they are. You get past Q school. Mm-hmm. Haley Davidson now has a tour card. Mm-hmm. Next February. You're at Lake Nona. First hole. And you hear the announcer say, coming up, making her LPGA debut from Jupiter, Florida, Haley Davidson. Get the golf claps to that tee box. You have the driver in your hand. You're looking in the distance. What do you think will go through your mind at that moment? Oh, my God, don't miss it. Please don't miss it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that. That's been like any time. And this is a big thing just throughout the years. People will probably realize I do in the first tee. It will be a cool experience. To be honest, knowing me, I'll probably find something funny or dumb to do or say that's just, uh, I'm sure I'll make some sort of dumb comment on myself for, you know, that's just the kind of stuff I do. That's how I break the ice with myself through joke and laughter. So I'll have quite some time to think of something great to say. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the same time, do you think there'll be a thought for, say, Dr. Lancaster at that point, for a Miana Bagger yeah. at that point, for Elena Lawless at that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll definitely be, you know, one thing, and, and I even do it now, you know, I even think of the, the people before me, even though there's only been three, you know, um, it's still three people who helped me get to where I am today. So, you know, I 
I always keep that in mind, you know, regardless of what I've had to do and things like that. Um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't be in the, the position I am without those people. So, you know, uh, and like I told you earlier, I, I'll always give my thanks to Bobby. Luckily, you know, she's the type of person, even after my first win, you know, she called me. She's like, I'm sorry, I can't type what I'm going to say. You know, things like that, they they mean a lot. And, and to be honest, from what I learned, I ended up crying in my TV interview yesterday. So I'm learning, obviously, as you know, we're a lot more emotional than when we were pre-transition. So to be honest, so now I'm thinking about it. I'm probably hoping I don't cry in the first year as well. It'll be a good experience when we all see it. And, uh, you know, and I don't say this as in, oh, I'm going to say I'm going to do it because I'm trans. No, it's I'm going to do it because of, of who I am and, and the work I've put into things. And, you know, I'm never going to give up until the it is done and it, it will be done. And those are things I know I'm going to do. And I can't wait for it because, you know, like I said, it's, you know, the first time I get to be on TV hitting a golf ball, um, it's going to do a lot more for for our community than it does for me, you know, again, because again, I'm going to see it as more of, this is my career. This is me playing golf. Um, You know, I I want others to see it for what it is as well. You know, I want to make sure there's that kid sitting at home who has that smile on their face, knowing that, you know, what I want to do is a possibility because of that. Well, I'll tell you what, I look forward to seeing you out in those links. And and checking out on checking out on the golf channel, and we're gonna want you back. Oh, we're gonna want you back here. We're gonna beam you back. I'm up. fine. <laughs> Works for I, me. I'm I'm tell you now, I want to beam. I want to beam you back up after Q school when you've got your card. Deal. In fact, I, mean. I want you to beam you back up. My cat's being a jerk right now. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, we want to beam you back up. We want to bring you back. Haley, thank you for joining for joining me today, for mm-hmm. joining us today. It's been an awesome show. Good luck at Q School. Keep winning on the mini tour. And we're gonna see you. Hey, we're gonna see you in some big time fairways soon. Awesome. I, I'll talk to everyone else soon. And, and Carly, you personally keep in touch. I'll be talking to you soon as well. So you have a great day and thank you so much for the time. Thank you, and thank you all for joining us on the Transporter Room this week. And if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing, go to our Twitter, go to our Facebook, go to our Instagram. We're here for you. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll see you all next week. <laughs>